Hello and welcome to Bible 101, lesson number 30 of our Bible 101 series. Today we're going to actually focus on the ministry of Jesus and we're going to focus specifically on his miracles and some of his teachings and we can't do this exhaustive. But before we begin, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to study the Word of God. Jesus, I need you to lead me today and speak to the ears of every hearer. Draw those that are hungry to this podcast and help them to hear Lord, with attentive ears, and help them to receive with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save our souls in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've talked about the baptism of Jesus. We've talked about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now let's get into specifically his ministry. In the book of Luke, chapter number 4, it focuses on um, Jesus going into the synagogue after he comes out of the wilderness. We've already talked about that, so let's pick up with verse number 31 and came down to Capernaum a city of Galilee and taught them on the Sabbath days and they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power uh, one of the gospels says his word was with authority he didn't teach like the scribes and Pharisees the scribes and Pharisees taught the law but they didn't teach with authority but Jesus had authority because he was both God and he was man and he could teach with authority and he, that's why he could go up and say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, talking about the law. But remember, he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. So he could teach with authority because he was the giver of the law. Then it says, verse 33, and in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice. Now, I think that's interesting. The synagogue was the place, again, where uh, not unlike our church services, not quite like them, obviously, but it was a place where they could study scriptures and then expound, for instance, they would have somebody that would get up and read the scripture, and then he would sit down and expound upon the scripture. Well, uh, apparently, this man was in the synagogue. We don't know how long he was in the synagogue, but there was something about Jesus that stirred up the devil in this man. Perhaps he had been attending synagogue for a long time. Nobody knew he was devil-possessed, but Jesus stirred up the devil. And for the first time in the entire Bible, we have an account of an evil spirit uh, being cast out of a man. Now, I think this is very, very interesting because uh, you don't read about this in the Old Testament. Not at all. There's not a single account of a devil being cast out in the Old Testament. And you might ask the question, why? Well, I do think it's interesting that devils start possessing men when Jesus of Nazareth, uh, or before Jesus of Nazareth, starts walking to the earth. And then we have our first accounts of the devil being cast out. And so uh, it's it's pretty interesting that there's an increase in demonic activity before Jesus walks on the earth. And we see this all throughout uh, the course of history, biblical history and uh, church history, because when God is about to do his brightest work, that's when the enemy really stands up and starts stirring up trouble. And so uh, devils, we're going to find out that there's many accounts of demon-possessed people crying out at Jesus and Jesus casting out evil spirits. There's something about the ministry of Jesus that stirred up the devil. If you're truly a child of God, you're going to face opposition from the devil. Just go ahead and mark it down, uh, but don't take this as discouragement. If you're facing uh, demonic spirits coming against you, if they're trying to attack you, that means you're a child of God and they want to discourage you. That means you're doing something right. Uh, usually opposition means you're do you must be either doing something uh, 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 right 
Or perhaps you're doing something wrong and God is opposing you. But in this case, Jesus was doing something that was right, and so the devil began to oppose him. Uh, remember, Jesus has already walked out of the wilderness after being tempted by the devil, and now the devil starts crying out uh, after him. And it says, The Spirit cried with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now, there's so many things I could point out here. You know, um, we can even learn something from what the devil said about Jesus. And I want you to notice several things. First of all, it said, let us alone. Uh, now, that's something that, you know, if, if, if a, a demon is, uh, uh, is inhabiting a person, one of the first things they're going to say is, leave me alone, preacher. Don't touch my life. And uh, one of the greatest indicators that maybe the devil is working in your life is if you don't want a preacher to preach to you or if you don't want somebody to correct you uh, because the devil doesn't like to be corrected. Remember, he was cast out of heaven because he could not submit to God's authority. And notice what he says here. Jesus, leave us alone. I don't want you to touch me. I don't want you to have anything to do with me. Just leave me alone. Then he says this. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? That tells us, obviously, that Jesus was completely the opposite of what this evil spirit is. The evil spirits were not submitted, but Jesus was submitted. It said, What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Okay, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now stop. What did, de what did Satan say to Jesus uh, in the wilderness? He said, If thou be the Son of God. Uh, command these stones to become bread. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself off of that hill, pretending as if he didn't really know who Jesus was. If thou be, if thou be. But here, the demons speak. Now remember, the demons work for the devil. And he says, I know that you're the Holy One of God. So Satan knew who he was, but Satan was trying to put a question, perhaps, in Jesus' mind. Um, and so, can I just say this, that usually if the devil is attacking your mind and saying, if you're really a child of God, you wouldn't be going through this, child, uh, this trial right now. If you're really a child of God, you wouldn't be facing these temptations right now. You wouldn't be having these bad dreams. You wouldn't be going through this. Uh, usually, the devil puts these thoughts in your mind because you are a child of God. Because if you were not a child of God, uh, the devil wouldn't even bother with you. He's already got you. Why does he need to tempt you constantly? Why does he need to put questions in your mind. So the devil knew who Jesus was. And then notice how Jesus said this, verse 35. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. Uh, one translation could possibly be, Shut up and come out of him. Can I just tell you, don't waste your time talking to the devil. If the devil's tempting you, if the devil's coming to you and saying, if you're really a child of God, you wouldn't be going through this, or uh, you know, if you're uh, if you're really a child of God, you wouldn't be facing this temptation. The best way to handle the devil is just tell him to shut up. And if you're going to speak to him at all, do what Jesus did in the wilderness. Just use scripture against him. But he just said, hold thy peace, or in other words, shut up and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they came out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Now, that's what Luke records as the first miracle. But once again, can I remind you that these are not meant necessarily to be chronological accounts. A lot of times they're arranged by theme. 
And uh, so don't take one gospel and, and try to compare it to another gospel and say, well, why does it have this in a different order? Because they're, they're not recording things necessarily in perfect order. They're just focusing on specific events in the life of Jesus. Remember what John said. In fact, let's flip over and read it. Let's go over to the book of John, chapter 21, and verse number 25. And it says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So it tells us right here that these are not meant to be exhaustive accounts of the life of Jesus. They don't record every event. So we shouldn't expect them also to be in chronological order. We shouldn't expect them all to record the same things because Jesus did so many things that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Now consider the fact Jesus was only in ministry for three and a half years, yet he did so many miracles in those three and a half years that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written about him. That tells you uh, how many miracles Jesus did in that short time frame. Okay, now let's flip over and read the first miracle recorded by Matthew. Let's flip over to the book of Matthew. And remember here, uh, it also records the temptation of Jesus Christ. And after he comes out from the temptation, uh, I want you to notice that uh, one of the first things it records after that is uh, him coming to Capernaum. Let's read verse number 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now, once again, we have a prophecy of the Old Testament. Remember, Matthew is going to focus on the prophecies of the Old Testament because he's writing to the Jews. And because he's writing to the Jews, everything that Jesus does, he's going to compare it to an Old Testament scripture, or at least most of the things which Jesus does. He's going to say this is a fulfillment uh, of this Old Testament scripture. And so uh, here he records several uh, uh, um, prophecies that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to go exhaustively into this because we could get distracted, so let's keep moving on. Verse number 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mentioned the fact that the very first words recorded by John the Baptist was, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here Jesus is saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, remember, John has been prophesying, saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, basically meaning that uh, a new Davidic ruler is about to step on the throne, but it's not going to be quite the way you think, because they, they thought that the new Davidic ruler that had been prophesied about, uh, that would sit upon the throne forever, uh, as recorded in the book of Second Samuel, that this Davidic ruler was going to give peace to the Jewish nations and was going to bring down the Gentile nations and force them to subject themselves to Israel. But uh, when it speaks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, uh, it is, it's basically actually saying that this kingdom that God is setting up is going to be totally different from what they had imagined. This kingdom was not going to be an earthly kingdom in the sense of the word that they were used to. But uh, that's why Jesus over and over is saying the kingdom of heaven is like, and he compares it to something. 
Um, and he's trying to get some of these foolish notions and ideas out of their head that it's all about uh, rulership of the Jews over the Gentiles. But he's actually saying the kingdom of heaven is completely different from what you've thought. And we'll prove this as we move through. But he says, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And so you better repent. You better prepare your heart for this kingdom. Okay, verse number 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Now, if you compare this to the book of John, you'll see there's already been a meeting here that Jesus has already met up with Peter, and he's already met up with Andrew. But here, apparently, it's going to focus mainly on their calling, not on necessarily an exhaustive study of their first meeting. And so if we compare this to the book of John, perhaps Jesus had already met Peter and Andrew, uh, and that's why he could just simply say these words, follow me, and they would follow him. Watch, it says, uh, casting a net into the sea, for there were fishers. Verse 19, and it says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. This tells us that they left their careers behind to follow Jesus. Okay, now, um, perhaps you don't really understand the implications of this. This would be like somebody leaving their job behind, their source of income, and following after Jesus. This is exactly what it was. It was their source of income. They were used to making a career out of fishing. And when Jesus just simply says the words, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I've got a different occupation for you boys. I've got a calling from God for you. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now notice, Jesus did not say, I will make you fishers of men and provide all of your needs. He didn't say, if you follow me, I'll sign a contract with you and I'll give you you know, 10% of all the wage, or I'll give you 20% or whatever. No, Jesus didn't make them any promises. He just said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, verse 20, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. They left their occupations behind. Later on, we're going to find out that they left all to follow Jesus. Everything that they had known, uh, their careers, everything to follow Jesus. And, and so we see what kind of men these guys are. They're not educated men. Uh, the Bible says that they're unlearned and ignorant men. Uh, not necessarily meaning that they were stupid, but it just means that they had not studied in the quote-unquote colleges of the day or in the schools of the day. They had not studied in rabbinic schools. They were not well-educated men. They were fishermen. They were not scribes. They were not Pharisees. Uh, but Jesus could use them simply because they were willing. And can I tell you today... You may not feel like God can use you at all, and you may feel as if uh, you don't have the education necessary, you don't have the criterion that's, that's necessary for God to use you. But can I just say, all God's looking for is a willing vessel. If you're just willing, the Bible says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. All he wants you to do is to be willing and to be obedient. And if you feel those two qualifications, God can work with you. God can use you. Uh, the Bible says he calleth the foolish things, uh, or use, excuse me, he uses the foolish thing as, uh, things of the world to confound the wise. So all you need is uh, to be willing and obedient, and God can use you. Don't worry about your qualifications. The Bible says not many wise are called, not many noble are called, uh, but God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Okay, and then it says this, verse 21, And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, one thing I think is interesting, and I don't want to read too much into this passage, but look at verse number 21 again. Let's read this very carefully. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Okay, several things I could talk about here, and I'm going to try not to get too distracted. But it says here that uh, he called James and John, but their father Zebedee was in the ship. Why did Zebedee not come with them? Apparently, Zebedee was more concerned about his career than he was about following Jesus. Because of this, Zebedee is going to completely appear, uh, is going to completely disappear off the scene. You're, you're not going to really read about him again. Now you're going to read about the mother of James and John who had spiritual ambition and approached Jesus at one point and say, uh, Lord, please let my son sit upon your throne in glory, uh, one on your right hand, one on your left in glory. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus talked to her about that. But So we see the mother of James and John, but we never again see the father of James and John. Why? Because apparently he thought his career was more important than serving God. Can I just say this? We never read about Jesus calling Zebedee again. We never read about another chance for Zebedee to follow after Jesus. You might say, well, somebody had to stay behind and take up the career. But did not Jesus provide for James and John? He did. Did he not provide for Peter and Andrew? He did. So can I just say this today? You have no guarantee that the Lord's going to call you more than once. So if you're listening to this today and you have not yet repented of your sins and been baptized in Jesus and be filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, you better respond to Jesus while he's calling you. And just the fact you're listening to this tells me that God is calling. He's reaching for your heart today. You need to respond when God calls because the Bible says he's not going to uh, call forever. I'm reminded of a scripture in the book of uh, Revelation chapter number 3 where the Lord gives a message to the Laodiceans. And in Revelation 3 and verse number 12, 20, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him and will sup with him and he with me. He stands at your door today and he's knocking at your heart's door. But you've got to respond when he calls because he's not going to call forever. And here this day he called James and John and apparently Zebedee too because he was in the ship. Uh, he could have taken that call personally and followed after them. But instead he stayed behind and his sons left. And we don't really read about Zebedee again. Verse 22, And they immediately left the ship with their father and followed him. Uh, now, several things I also want to talk about, too, that might interest you. Uh, these men were faithful in the career that God uh, that uh, that uh, they used to provide for their families. Notice in verse number 18, it says, Peter and Andrew were casting a net. So get that lodged in your mind. They were casting the net uh, to fish. But then in verse number 21, it said James and John uh, with Zebedee, their father, were mending their nets. Now, there's several different things. I've studied this uh, all in detail about casting the nets and mending the nets. There's a time that you cast out the net to catch fish. There's a time that you mend the net to make sure that the net is going to be strong enough to where it's not going to break if you should bring in uh, fish. Okay, now this is important to keep in mind because let's flip over now to the book of Luke and let's read about the calling uh, in the book of Luke. Now, each of them record different details. Remember, it's kind of like multiple witnesses to the same wreck. Uh, they're going to record different things. And so 
uh, I want to uh, focus specifically on some of these things here. Let's go to Luke chapter number 5 and verse number 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Okay, here we see something else. So we see casting the net, we see uh, mending the net, and now we see washing the net. Um, okay, and then it says this, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have told all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. That's why it was important for them to mend their nets appropriately. Uh, it could be that this was such a tremendous catch of fish that no matter how much they had mended, uh, that it broke. But it could also be that they hadn't mended it properly. And that's the reason why it broke. And so uh, th these were important things to do in their occupation. Uh, I, I think basically this could teach us a little lesson here today, that there's a time to catch fish and there's a time to mend nets. Uh, and, and let me just use it th this illustration. There's a time for harvest, and there's a time that you need to prepare your soul for a harvest. Uh, so can I just say this, that so many times we want to, uh, if you're anything like me, you want to put your foot on the gas pedal. You don't want to stop at a red light, spiritually speaking. And so that's kind of the way I am. Uh, that's why, you know, going through this uh, this time where everything was shut down was so difficult for me because I'm used to teaching Bible studies and getting out there and trying to do a work for God and, and preaching and, and trying to reach souls and, and, uh, and staying busy for God. I'm not very good at mending my net. But can I just tell you this? Uh, there's a time that you cast the net, but you need to also prepare your net to catch fish. What I mean by that is the Bible says, be ye fishers of men. God compared soul winning to fishing for men. And if he compared it, can I also compare that your net uh, to, to uh, your catching souls? And so as you, there's a time that you cast that net out to catch souls, but there's also a time you need to mend that net. Can I tell you how to mend that net? It's in prayer. Make sure you pray every day to prepare your net to catch fish, because if not, uh, you're not going to be successful in catching men. Uh, you may catch them temporarily, but you're not going to maintain them. You need to prepare your net to catch fish. So pray every day. Read the Bible every day. Study every day to prepare yourself. The Bible speaks about in one place, be ready to give a defense for the gospel. So you need to make sure that you're ready to catch those fish. So spend time every day praying, uh, every week fasting, and uh, also every day reading the Word of God to prepare yourself to be of service to God. Make sure your net's not going to break when you cast it out to catch souls. Okay, and then it says, verse number 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Here we have another indicator of why Jesus used Simon Peter so great. Number one, they left all without question and followed after Jesus. Number two, we see that uh, they didn't think very highly of themselves, at least not at this point in their history. Now, later on, they're going to start thinking highly of themselves, but Jesus always knew how to bring them low. But then he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was humble. That's one of the reasons why Jesus didn't call the scribes and he didn't call the Pharisees. They weren't humble men. They thought of themselves as great. 
but Jesus called those that didn't think very highly of themselves, that were very lowly. Uh, he could work with material like that. So can I just say, you know, if you have an education, there's nothing wrong with an education, but God may use you in spite of your education. Uh, I, I, I found it kind of humorous because I'm thinking of some men, uh, I'm thinking of one right now, uh, that uh, a man that, that I heard about, he went and he got, uh, uh, he got a doctorate and, uh, you know, he was pursuing this education wholeheartedly. He was pursuing a career wholeheartedly. But guess what? Today, uh, he doesn't even use that degree. Uh, now, he uses some of the things he learned from it, uh, some of the principles he learned from it, but he doesn't even use that degree. He's a full-time preacher. Uh, and so can I just say this, that, you know, if God uses you, and you are an educated person, he may use you in spite of your education. Nothing wrong with education. Get a good education. Learn all you can learn. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with making money as long as your money doesn't control you. And as long as it's kind of like I heard one man say, he said, get an education and then get over it. And so here's these men. It's not as if they're stupid men. So, so many times we can think of it saying unlearned and ignorant men. No, that came from the scribes and Pharisees that said that about the disciples. Uh, they weren't stupid men. It just meant that they didn't graduate from their schools. They weren't up to their, uh, to their degree of learning, basically. But Jesus could use them because they were humble men. Uh, they would never lean necessarily upon their own intelligence in preaching the gospel. And uh, can I just say this, that some of you that have been listening to my grandfather's messages that I posted can tell that my grandfather was not a well-educated man. Uh, he did graduate from school. He went to Bible college for one year, uh, but he was not a very well-educated man. There's some grammatical errors in his preaching, but nobody could argue the fact he was a powerful man of God that saw many, many miracles. And one of the reasons he saw so many miracles is because he never leaned on his own intelligence in preaching. He always leaned upon God and said, God, if you don't help me, I, this is going to be a mess. I need you. So can I just say, even if you are intelligent, if you've got a doctorate today, uh, it doesn't matter that you have a doctorate. You need to lean on God to help you. Uh, okay, so let's move forward here. So when Jesus uh, 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 chose his disciples, he did not choose well-educated men. He chose fishermen. One place he, he chose a zealot, not very likely material, a rebel. But Jesus uh, turned that rebel into somebody that was mighty for God. And then you also read he chose a tax collector. You can read that in the book of Matthew. He, ta he passed by uh, the tax booth and he said, follow me. And, Ma and Matthew left all of his, uh, his career behind. He left all of his money behind and he followed after Jesus. And people judge Jesus for choosing a tax collector because you must understand that tax collectors were people that uh, were hated by the Jews because they were considered corrupt. They collected taxes for the Roman government. And so a lot of times uh, they were corrupt and they would take more money than what was necessary and they would profit off of it. And so they were hated. And uh, But Jesus chose a tax collector, somebody hated by people. But you know something, one thing that's interesting is tax collectors had to be good writers because they had to be very keep, careful keeper of records. Can I just say this? Jesus even used a tax collector. He used his writing ability to write what? The first gospel that we have, Matthew. And uh, you could also see that in the book of Luke, the same thing there. Luke was a physician. He had to be a good writer as a good physician. And so Jesus used that. He was a writer. Jesus used him to write one of the Gospels. And so uh, you may not think that, uh, you know, what your career that you're in right now will play any part in you doing something for God. But you never know what part it might play. 
Um, you know, for instance, like I said, with, with collecting taxes, Matthew probably never dreamed that one day he'd be a preacher of the gospel and that God would be able to use something that came from his tax collecting days uh, in, in his, uh, I hate to use the term career, but in his calling, that's a better word, in his calling as a preacher. But God was able to use even his record keeping uh, in his calling to preach. So you never know. God has a plan for your life. And every little piece of your life may play a part in what God wants you to do. You may not have a calling to be a preacher today, uh, but you may have a calling to be an intercessor, to be a soul winner. And what you're doing right now could play a part in that. And so remember, uh, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were all fishermen. Jesus used the analogy of being fishers of men, saying basically, uh, I'm not changing your occupation, I'm just changing what you're fishing for. And that's one way to look at it. But I've already used the principle of casting nets and mending nets. Several times Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven is like likened unto a net. Uh, Use the term of fisher, fishing, uh, comparing it to the kingdom of God. So, you know, they could use some of their occupation and their career in their calling. And perhaps you've never thought of it this way, but maybe I, I just want to... I, I, every lesson I teach, I don't ever use notes. I just try to to do after I pray. Uh, I try to approach it from the perspective of God. What do you want me to say? And I just allow him to speak through me. And so hopefully this is ministering to somebody here today. Don't think that your life is wasting away. Don't think that what you're doing now doesn't hold any kind of weight or purpose in the kingdom of God. It could be doing a whole lot more for you than what you realize. So just keep doing what you're doing. Follow after God, and God will open the doors when the time comes for you to do something for his kingdom. Uh, Maybe it's to be a soul winner. Maybe it's to be an intercessor. Maybe it's to be a preacher. Maybe it's to be a preacher's wife. Maybe it's to, to be a missionary. Who knows what God could call you to do, but just submit yourself to his purpose and keep staying faithful in what you're doing. Uh, something else that I can mention here in closing today, and I meant to really get more into the miracles of Jesus, but uh, this is okay. I, like I said, I just want to follow the Holy Ghost when I teach. But um, one thing I want to mention is, notice what Jesus did. He came upon fishers. They were being faithful in their occupation. They were just fishing when God called them. Matthew was just collecting taxes when God called him. We, we could question the legitimacy of that of that of that uh, uh, of that occupation. We could question whether or not he did it correctly. But you know, Matthew was just collecting taxes when he called him. He was just doing uh, what he would normally do. I've already talked about the power of consistency and how that Simeon was just being consistent in his life. Anna in the temple was just being consistent. The shepherds were just being consistent, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Zechariah went in, as was his custom, into the temple. It just Jesus appeared to people that were just consistent. Just doing what they were supposed to be doing. And can I tell you, it's the same thing with you. Just stay faithful to what you're doing. Stay faithful to uh, to God and just pay your tithe, pay your offering, be faithful to God. And God will use you and call you and be ready when he calls your name. That's the key. you got to be ready when he calls your name and drop everything. So many people, when Jesus calls their name, but, but, but God, will you really provide for me? God, will you really take care of me? Don't ask those stupid questions. Just drop what you're doing when God calls you and be prepared to move out. So let's end with a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much for this lesson today. God, I'm asking you to speak to the hearts and souls of every hearer today. God, help us to be ready when you you call our name. 
God, help us to stay faithful to the task that we have in front of us right now. Help us to realize that there's no such thing as wasted times or wasted careers, uh, as, as long, obviously, as they're not sinful. But Jesus, help us, Lord, to be used of God, to be ready when you call our name, to serve our purpose in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.